0: Hey, everybody, it's Pastor Chad. Welcome to the Way Radio podcast. I took last Sunday off, so today's podcast message is from a sermon I preached back in 2018, in November of 2018, entitled Nonconformity and Transformation. It's based on Romans 12, 1 and 2. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. And anybody that's been affiliated with this ministry knows this since day one, seven or eight, nine years ago when we started, Romans 12, 2 has been our mission verse since we started Uh, I remember there was just something about it and I wanted to make that the verse that we base our mission and our ministry around and I've never regretted that decision so I'm excited to go into it again today so if we begin and we look at verse 1 the first thing we're going to see is as we look at Romans 12 1 and 2 is that these are some of the most neglected portions of scripture by the contemporary church. And we're going to hit three main points today. What it is to understand nonconformity to this world, what it is to be transformed in Jesus Christ, and the fact that we, true believers of the church, are set apart from the world. Something else that quite often is forgotten. But to preface, before we go into Romans 12, 1 and 2, just a little bit of background. Before... This chapter, Paul had laid out the Gospel message in a profound and beautiful way in chapters one through eleven. And I have you guys, if you guys have heard me before, I have said, I would recommend if you're a Christian reading the Book of Romans a lot. It's just one of those books that's so deep and so profound and such a blessing that you just should just always be in the habit of reading the Book of Romans, regardless of what else we're studying in our Bible studies. But in in chapters one through eleven, Paul teaches powerfully on the doctrines of the Christian faith, the depravity of man, the doctrine of election, limited atonement, salvation by grace grace alone through faith alone, the awesome sovereignty of God. And he goes into other doctrines. And then he closes in verses 33 through 36 in chapter 11. And I love this portion of scripture because you can tell as Paul's writing chapters 1 through 11, and obviously those chapters weren't there when he wrote. He was just writing, but he was so caught up in the majesty and the mystery and the beauty and the perfection of God's plan of salvation that in verses uh, Romans 11, 33 through 36, he says, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and of the knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and how untraceable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? And who has ever given to God that he should be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. It's like Paul was just so in love with these doctrines. You know, one thing that I've often told people when they struggle with certain Christian doctrines that are hard for us to get our our human minds around, sometimes one of the best tests of truth is the fact that it's hard to get our minds around, you know? Because it's so God-minded that we have to wrestle with it. That's part of the Christian faith. And that's what I love about the book of Romans. You can't just read it and figure it all out. You've got to pray about it. You've got to wrestle with it. The Holy Spirit has to open up your heart and your mind to it. So as we look at Romans 12, verse 1. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. So Paul has laid down all these amazing doctrines, and then in, verse, in, in chapter 12, he starts off with therefore, because of all that you've heard and all that you've learned because of, these tr- because of these truths, he says, therefore, in the King James Version, he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. So what we see here from Paul is that he's, he's lovingly appealing to the church. He's not domineering, he's not commanding, he's showing a genuine care and a concern. He's saying, I beseech you to consider these things. And he continues, in view of the mercies of God, reflecting back on what Paul has just conveyed in the previous chapters, he says, in view of that, in view of the mercies of God. Now one thing you've got to understand when he's saying that, one thing we see as we read through the book of Romans and that we have to understand is that mercy is given to who? Guilty to someone who's guilty. See? You plead for mercy when you're guilty, and you don't deserve it, you see? Very important to understand. So mercy is given to the guilty. So we have to take the time to consider how overwhelmingly profound the mercy of God is in his plan of salvation. Then he continues, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. This was a pretty huge statement to tell the Jewish people because they had constantly what? Sacrificed animals, dead on the altar. But now he's saying things have changed and our sacrifice is to be living. The constant living sacrifice of ourselves, all of who we are. So we must consider and make our lives a living sacrifice for the Lord. Charles Spurgeon on this verse says we are to present our bodies to God, not our souls alone, to make real practical work of it. So what Paul's starting to do here in chapter 12 is he's saying if you grasp these truths, if you have the ears to hear, if you have the eyes to see that Jesus talked about during his ministry, and you're one of the sheep, you will start making the real practical work of walking like Christ, being conformed to his image. So this is like practical Christianity that we're working with here. Well, one thing we have to be very careful of is to understand the fact that our sacrifice in no way atones or appeases for anything. It doesn't earn us anything. See? Everything we need has already been provided by Christ, by the Father, because of the sacrifice that Christ made on the cross. So our sacrifices in no way atone or appease. Rather, our sacrifices acknowledge and bring honor to God Because of what he's done for us. It's Christ living in us by grace through faith, making us a living sacrifice. It's not our own power that brings this about. Romans 6, 12 through 4 says, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its desires. And do not offer any parts of it to sin as weapons for unrighteousness. But as those who are alive from the dead Offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. For sin will not rule over you because you are not under the law, but under grace. It's grace working in us. Rivers of living water pouring forth from us. Paul continues, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Holy and pleasing to God. If we are true believers, if we are in Christ, if we're regenerated and born again, we are truly set apart for God and his holy uses. The soul or the heart that's being, that's being holy by the righteousness of Jesus Christ shines through and conveys holiness to the body into works generated by grace. Ephesians 2, 8-10 says, For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is God's gift, not from works so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Isn't that an interesting closing sentence there? Which God pre- prepared ahead of time for us to do. Our works are already established in Christ before we even exist. And they're pleasing to God because of reconciliation through Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Colossians 1, through 22 says, Once you were alienated and hostile in your minds expressed in your evil actions, but now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him. So just picture that once you are alienated and hostile in your minds expressed in your evil actions. So until you're regenerated, born again in Jesus Christ, regardless of how good you appear to the world, everything you do is to some degree in rebellion against God and evil. The only good that can ever be done is by God's grace through Jesus Christ. Let's look at chapter or verse 2, Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this age. You guys always hear me quote Romans 12.2 from the, the ESV. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. By testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. But I really like this version here that we get from the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible, where he says, do not be conformed to this age. Because that's another way we have to look at it. This age that we are in right now. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. The contemporary church, the modern church, has conformed to the world to such a degree... That many Christians are completely ignorant of the gospel, void of faith, and unaware that Christians are commanded to be living sacrifices to God in the world, but not of the world. Can you imagine how many false teachings would just be obliterated if more people understood this? You see? That Christianity is not an ATM machine. You see? It's the opposite. We're supposed to live sacrificially. It's one of those Christian paradoxes. When we live sacrificially, what happens? We get more than we could have ever wanted. You see? I surrender. John 17, 14 through 17, Jesus teaches us, I have given them your word. This is during the high priestly prayer, during the Last Supper. The world hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I am not praying that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. This is the Lord praying for us to the Father. Then he brings it home even more powerfully in 1720 of the book of John. He says, I pray not only for these, the apostles sitting right there with him at dinner. He says, but also for those who believe in me through their word. How cool is that? That's us. You see? He's speaking right to the church there. Those who will believe in me through their word. So he's telling us, if you are in me, you cannot be in the world. You see? Christians cannot be fence-sitters. We have to be totally in Christ. Or we have to be totally in the world. The two just don't mix. You see? Regarding transformation, I just want you guys to consider... An example that we get in the transformation of the apostles. The example that they set for us. If you just consider the 12 apostles that walked with Christ. Well, let's say 11. Let's take Judas out of it. Let's say the the 11 apostles that didn't forsake him. Well, they did, but they came back. Just consider they were all called. They left all and they followed him saw those guys fishing on the beach, and he said, come and follow me. They left their heads, <coughs> they followed He simply just, just started following Christ. And then they spent three amazing years with him in this ministry. They listened to him preach the Sermon on the Mount, where he taught things that were just mind-blowing. They were so profound, and they were so contrary to everything the world teaches and everything they had ever heard, that it took the Holy Spirit just to, just to open it up a little bit to them. You see? They saw him raise Lazarus from the dead. They saw him heal so many people. They saw multitudes gather around him. And then in the middle of the book of John, those multitudes leave. When? When he preaches the gospel. All of a sudden we start seeing the reaction of the world and the people start coming back again. But then that night after he said that high priestly prayer and he was arrested, what happened? They abandoned him. He went to trial alone. He was whipped alone. He suffered alone. He was spit on alone. He had thorns ground into his head alone. And he carried a cross up to Golgotha. And he hung on the cross alone, atoning not just for those 11 guys, but for so many that were hanging them on the cross. Hanging him on the cross. He did all that alone. But we see the transformation and the power of his resurrection. Because after his resurrection and his ascension, what happened? They followed him through persecution, tribulation, and even to their deaths. You see? Talk about a transformation. When they witnessed so much firsthand, abandonment, and then something happens that's so profound that now they'll follow him to his death, to their death if they have to. And we've seen Christians do that since that day, faithfully. So they forsook the world and they sacrifice themselves in order to follow Jesus Christ. The fact of the matter is, and what we have to remember so much in the modern church, is that the true Christian, what you can call the invisible church, there is this visible church that is so much a circus act on so many, in so many ways in this world, but the true visible Christian church, the body of Christ, has been set apart from the world. We are in the world, but we're not of the world. So you have to ask yourself the question, why do so many Christians and churches strive to conform to the world while taking the Lord's name in vain? You ever consider that? You know, When you're a kid, you're raised in a Christian church, you hear that commandment, thou shalt not take the Lord's name in vain. Well, that means I shouldn't cuss with God's name in it. Well, that's sort of it. It's so much deeper than that. And when you really study what that means, truly, It's horrifying how common rebellion against that commandment is. Exodus 20, verse 7 says, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. In the Hebrew, the word is shav, which means falsely, deceptively, lying, vain, vanity. So do not take the Lord's name falsely. Don't take it in a deceptive manner. Don't take it and then use it to lie. Don't take it vain, in in vanity. You see? If you're going to take his name, realize how profound that is and what that is to wear the name of Jesus Christ. You see? That's heavy. If you're going to say you're a Christian, you have just set yourself up for a standard that you have no ability to carry through with. Not. It's all of him see But we better be sure that we don't take his name in vain Wow, because we will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. See. There often seems to be such a concern. this is interesting. I just came up thought of this this morning. the Lord brought this to me, I guess. There often to be there often seems to be such a concern for what Christians listen to, what music Christians listen to, what TV shows they watch, what movies they go to, yet little or no concern that so many so called Christians and Christian churches are more influenced and led by the spirit of this world and its philosophies and false beliefs than by the Holy Spirit and the gospel of Jesus Christ. You ever think about that? It's so easy to judge someone and say, I saw you in this movie, or I saw you doing this, I saw you. Now, should we be doing some of the things we do? Obviously not. You know? But sort of the way I look at it is we're like worried about a a little grease stain on our driveway as our house is burning down. You see? Nobody wants to address the fire that's happening with apostasy and false teachings and worldliness and taking the Lord's name in vain and rejecting the gospel and compromising the word of God. That's what we should be focused on. Why? Because if we focus on that, what happens? We fix the little stuff. That's what we got to realize. If you're truly looking to Christ, if you're seeking Him, if you're striving to be conformed to His image, all this stuff that you thought was so bad you had to deal with just goes away. You see? I can tell you that from first-hand experience. The chief of sinners is an alcoholic and a cocaine addict and a very bad person. But those things go away when you look to the cross. You see? But if we focus on those things, the problem What happens? All you do is focus on the problem. You never raise your sights up above it. Then he continues, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. For Christians, Paul just shut down self-help programs, recovery programs, psychology, psychiatry. (laughs) He's saying, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Ephesians four twenty-two through 24, Paul writes, to take off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires. Desires is a huge thing to understand. To be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, the one created. This one's huge. According to God's likeness, in righteousness and purity of the truth. According to God's likeness. How do we know what God's likeness is? The word, Jesus Christ. He is the perfect image of God. What we're talking about here is regeneration and sanctification. Being born again and being set apart as holy for God's work. We're dying to sin to greater and greater degrees, and we're living to righteousness to greater and greater degrees. Romans 8, 29 says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, so that we would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. If you understand that as a Christian you should be striving to be conformed to the image of his Son, you've just taken away all that guesswork about, I don't know what God's will is for my life. What's his will? To be conformed to the image of his Son. If you have a decision to make, is A going to take me more into the image of Christ or more into the image of the world? It makes things so much clearer. A continual and an increasing transformation. Second Corinthians 3.18 says, We all, with unveiled faces, are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. And once again, it's all by God's grace. It's nothing of us. So then you have to ask yourself if you're. And one thing I want to make clear here is as long as we're in the flesh, regardless of how strong our faith is and how deep our belief is in Jesus Christ, what's part of the Christian walk? We always want to be on a level line, but sometimes we're up here, sometimes we're down below it a little bit. There's peaks and valleys. That's just part of being a Christian. But how is the mind continually renewed? How do we try to keep ourselves on that middle path? Through prayer, through prayerful study of the word, through fellowship, obedience. That's another one you don't hear very often. Obedience, communion with our brothers and sisters, and then communion constantly with the Father. That's how we renew our minds, you see Conformity to the world is the enemy of the renewing of the mind in Jesus Christ. Disciples of Jesus Christ must be non-conformists. It's just a requirement, you see? We cannot be conformed to the ways of the world. And we have to understand that it's non-conformity for the right reasons, from a pure heart and righteous motives, not for the sake of being contrary or abrasive. We all see those people who, you know, like they... They take pride in being nonconformists. How do they usually appear? Absurd. You know what I mean? They look sort of absurd. Non-conformity of Christians is so full of love and so full of passion and so full of Christ that it just attracts. You see, that's how the, church, the Christian church grows. It shines so brightly that those who have ears to hear and eyes to see are just drawn to it. John 7, 18 says, The one who speaks on his own seeks his own glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true, and there is no unrighteousness in him. That's a question we should always ask ourselves throughout our Christian walk. Is what I am doing bringing glory to the Lord? If I do this, will it bring glory to the Lord? Again, that's one of those Christian things that just takes so much guesswork out of our life. Does it bring glory to the Lord? And then Paul continues, so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. So that you may discern. I cannot express how important discernment is in the age in which we live. I would say, as a pastor, I probably spend 75 to 80% of my time when I'm talking to somebody, whether they call me for advice or counseling, or they've got issues with a family member or a friend, it comes down to a discernment issue. Because there is so much false teaching, there is such a neglect of the gospel, Christians are so, are, are starving for the pure word of doctrine that they're just led astray right and left. You see? I spent last uh, Wednesday in our online Bible study, there's a lady whose son has been totally drawn away into these 12-step programs and that's led into other things. And she can't figure out how to get through to him because he has no discernment. It all feels so good. You see? Discernment is huge right now. The King James Version uses the word prove to demonstrate what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. 1 John 4.1 says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit. But test the spirits to see if they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. First Thessalonians 5, 21 and 22 says, But test all things, hold on to what is good, and stay away from every kind of evil. So what is what are we being told there? Test the spirits. We're being told to judge. See? I can guarantee you, any Christian in this room. That is engaged in any kind of apologetics, or has tried to reach someone that's in a false teaching, has been accused of being judgmental. Am I wrong? Yep. So you shouldn't be judging. The Bible tells us not to judge. No, actually, the Bible tells us to judge with discernment when it comes to these things. It's very important. So you got to ask yourself: Are you testing the spirits? Do you know how to test the spirits? Are you judging biblically? Obviously, if somebody comes through the door and I'm judging them because of what they ate or what they drank or what they did, that's not what I'm talking about. Are we testing the spirits? Consider the Bereans. Paul writes in Acts, or Luke writes in Acts 17 10 through 11. As soon as it was night, the brothers and sisters sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. Upon arrival, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. The people here were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, since they received the word with eagerness and examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. So what does that tell us? It tells us that if I say something standing up here and a little discernment flag goes off in your heart, what do you do? You go test it, you see? And if it can't be proven with scripture and I'm wrong, what do you do? Bring it to my attention. There's nothing wrong with that. You see? You test the spirits. Because what happens if we don't? We just believe anything. see? I mean, one common thing I see with all these false teachers nowadays when you watch them preach, what do they not have? A Bible. see? Why? This is going to prove them wrong. (laughs) You can't have that because it's the rule book that they're going against. You have to use God's word. Examine the scriptures daily to see if these things are so. It's exegesis, not eisegesis. What does the word say, not what do I want the word to say? Such an important thing to tell yourself and to pray about every time you open your Bible. Lord, what do you want to show me from your word? Not, Lord, this is what I think I need to find out. Can I, can I you know, twist scripture enough to justify it? See? What does the word say? Acts 16.15 says, And after she was baptized, this is another picture of how we are to judge. After, and after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay, and she prevailed upon us. This is Lydia. She was a woman probably of means. She was a dealer in purple, which was a good business back then. And the previous verse, says that as they preached the gospel, her heart was open to it, and she responded. She became a believer. But she understood the importance of the Christian faith, And she understood the the importance of the true gospel to such a level, just even at that point in her walk, that she was willing to say, if you consider me a believer. You see? Folks, we're in a church, and I've shared this with you guys before. You've heard me say it if you've been to the church for a while. Over the last eight to ten years, as I have met with other pastors and Christian leaders, the question has come up. If you take every so-called Christian church in America, how many of those people sitting in those churches do you think are actually saved? And everyone agrees it's probably five to ten, maybe fifteen percent. That's how far it's going. So what that tells us is, when you're out on the street, you know, say you've got a shirt with a Bible verse on it or something, and somebody comes up and goes, "Oh, I'm a Christian." There's a 75 to 85, 90 percent chance that they have no idea what they're talking about. Now, does that mean that we walk around like snobs and we're self-righteous and we're saying, "No, I don't think you're a Christian"? No. But automatically we should pray that they truly are a believer. That the Lord will show us that they're a true believer. But isn't it sad that we can't just take it for granted? You see? We have to be very careful. So she says, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Acts 16, 15 in the CSB, I also like. It says, after she and her household were baptized, she urged us, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Why is that important? Because the church is set aside. You see, the church is set aside for the world. So you can't just take the Lord's name in vain. Say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. I used to do this, I used to do that, I used to do that. But right now, I'm a Christian. I'm doing the the Jesus thing for a while. I mean, that's how a lot of people look at it. See, Jesus is not a hobby, regardless of how he's presented. God's glory and a concern for the gospel must take precedence over the modern false understanding of unity. That's another one that is so far off base. And the reason I'm hitting all these so hard today is we're going to see this as we go through the book of Malachi. If you go through the Old Testament, you see so much of what happens when people reject God and they get drawn away into idolatry. You see? So God's glory and a concern for the gospel must take precedence over the modern false Understanding of unity. Ephesians 4 3 6 says, Making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace, there is one body and one Spirit, just as you are called to the one hope at your calling. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in all. Christianity is not universal. Jesus is not what you make him to be. You see? Jesus doesn't bend and conform according to our tastes and according to what sells in the world. Scripture tells us Jesus Christ is saved yesterday, today, and forever. The world changes. We try to change the way he's presented. We try to change the way Christianity is put out. But it never changes. You see? Philippians 1.27 Just one thing as citizens of heaven, not the earth, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ, then whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I will hear about you that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel. And the only way we can have that Unity is if we understand that the will of God is manifested and revealed to us through his word, not by the inventions of man, not by concepts, not by theory. Matthew 4.4 says, He answered, it is written, man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So we are to make our life a living sacrifice to God. We're to seek him and his will, not ours. John 41, 4, through, 30, through 35, Jesus said, In the meantime, the disciples kept urging him, Rabbi, eat something. This is what he was preaching to the woman at the well. He walked all day. They went to get food. They knew he hadn't eaten anything. They said, Rabbi, eat something. But he said, I have food to eat that you don't know about. The disciples said to one another, Could someone have brought him something to eat? And he says, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And Jesus told them, don't you say there are still four months and then the harvest comes? Listen to what I'm telling you. Open your eyes and look at the fields because they are ready for harvest. Jesus was saying, as long as I'm doing the Father's will, I am fed. You See, food is to do the Father's will. So I hope what we get out of this today is that we are to not be conformed to this world. We're to be transformed. We're to be renewed. We're to stand apart and engage in the harvest that Jesus tells us to enter into. 1 John 2, 15 through 17 is what I'll close with. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possessions is not... From the Father. How much of the Christian church is pitched on the opposite of that? You see? It's not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world with its lust is passing away. But he gives us a promise. But the one who does the will of God, what? Remains forever. Thank you for listening to The Way Radio Podcast. You can find us on the web at The Way, the letter R, 122.org. And please be sure to visit our sponsor website at elephantwalk.net. See you next week. God bless.